Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Dead Air Live on the Dead Air Full Spectrum channel, simulcasting also with KGRADB.com, KGRA on YouTube and on Facebook. My name is George Lopez. With me, as always, Mr. Ken DaCosta. And uh, I know you guys are as excited as we are with what is going to transpire tonight. Very, very special guest tonight, Ken. And who might that be? That would be a gentleman who needs no introduction. And his name is Travis Walton, one of the, I guess, I would venture to say, two most iconic and remarkable alien abduction cases in history, along with Benny and Barney Hill. Yeah. And um, just to let everybody know, Travis is in studio right now. He's working with our producer, uh, Bill Forte, just trying to get his audio squared away. So Travis is with us. Um, They're just working on his audio right now, and we'll get the okay on that. But this has been a long time coming. We are so honored and happy to have him here with us tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about not only his experience, but his general view, his overview on the UFO phenomenon. So um, very much looking forward to that. We can see him in the studio right now. Um, But like Anything else here, Zoom, StreamYard, anybody who's done that, you know how it is. You got to work out the bugs. So when that happens, we'll be bringing them on. You know what makes a good partnership between you and I, Ken? What's that? I I noticed the things. You changed the background. Yeah. You changed the background to something more ethereal, something that's more... In tune with what we're going to be doing tonight, you know. It's I mean, it's it, you know, you're, you're good at decorating. That's one thing I've always complimented you for. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, we. Uh, <laughs> one of you uh, out there, uh, first time uh, viewers with us tonight that are coming in for this particular interview, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget also the thumbs up uh, for uh, likes and uh, the reminder bell for upcoming <laughs> content. Yes, producer Bill. Well, we need to bring Travis uh, Walton up on the main screen so we can try the different options for his microphone settings. But I do want to make sure that everybody knows this is a great book uh, that Travis wrote. This is a must-have book. Um, Obviously, I'm honored that he autographed it for me right there. It's a great book, folks. Go check it out. Go check out his website. All right, let's bring Travis up, guys, and let's see if we can work out his audio. Okay, bear with us here. Live rate, live podcast, you know right. how it is. Let's bring Travis in and see what we got. Yeah. yeah. All right, Travis, let's try your different options for the microphone. Okay, can you hear me now? Oh! <laughs> well, that's option one. Well, just like that. I just got to yeah. tell you guys a quick story with Travis. No, go away, Bill. We don't want you here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he spoke at Pine Bush on two different occasions at the UFO fair. Really? And yeah, he, phenomenal, as always. And hopefully we're going to get him back soon in the future. Um, he's a true gentleman. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed speaking with him in a more private setting in the vehicle while driving to and picking him up from the airport uh, with Amanda Curran, who produces here at KGRA. He is an incredible person, um, a very positive human being. It is an honor to know that man on that screen. And you guys will get a little bit more in-depth with him, I'm sure, during the show. But we had an adventure. He came in from 
where he, he resides in Arizona. And we get to the hotel in Pine Bush at 2.15 in the morning. Nobody's there. So I say, Amanda, there's a phone on the wall. This is a true story. And Travis, to tell you, it was crazy. So the lady comes down because there was nobody in the lobby. And I say, we have a, we're here with Travis Walton. And he has a room reserved. He goes, they go, we don't have a room. I was like, what are you talking about? You don't have a room. So we had to scramble to get Travis in a hotel room at 2.30 in the morning. And then they resolved the, the town and resolved the issue the next day. But I'm sure Travis remembers that crazy night. Right, Travis? Well, I don't know. I've been in a lot of places in a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> but, guys, I mean, it was bizarre. Uh, Travis, I, just, I, I would just like to ask you who drove that night. Well, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was Bill me. drove. Okay, yeah. so we've answered one of our questions. Well, guys, have a great time. And like I said, make sure to check out Travis Walton's website um, and his book, which is awesome. And uh, have a great show with Travis. Travis, God bless you. God bless your family. Have a great show with the guys. All right, come back to see us, Bill. Thank you. Yes. Uh, once again, want to thank you, Travis, for, for joining us this evening. Uh, you are, for lack of a better term, ufology royalty, um, predominantly with regards to what Hollywood had presented your story as. But then you pushed it forward and you persevered within the community, talking with uh, either other people who have been abductees to other people in the field from a scientific perspective and trying to get uh, continued answers with what it is that we are dealing with, with regards to these contacts. So uh, again, thank you for joining us this evening. I'm looking to have some fun with it. Well, where do you reside now? Where are you living now? Still living snowflake, Arizona. No kidding. No kidding. That's, I mean, for me, uh, I've been here in Florida now probably over 40 years uh, where it is consistently humid which consistently dry over there. It, it's got to be weird when you do get over to those areas that are like swampland for us. Uh, you come to Florida very often. You get a chance to visit. I've been there quite a few times over the years, but not not this year no. so far. A lot of people have stayed away from traveling as of late. But uh, but I thank you uh, again for, for joining us this evening. Uh, those of you that are in the chat joining us again for the first time, you've uh, – Heard the promotions or seen the promotions that Ken's been putting up for tonight's show. Welcome uh, to <clears throat> Dead Air Live. But uh, the first thing that I would like to do is turn it over to Mr. DeCosta because he has been chomping at the bit. Uh, he has been participating with MUFON for quite a long time, his fascination with ufology. And uh, I've got several questions I want to get back with you to in a little bit. But Ken, I'll turn it over to you first, sir. Well, thank you very much. And Travis, on my own behalf, it is a real pleasure to host you this evening and thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time tonight. It's greatly appreciated, sir. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, indeed our pleasure. Now, I mean, we want to give you a little bit of latitude tonight because I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you've probably told your story a few hundred times and I'm probably underestimating that. So, I mean, we'll certainly get into some details as you see fit rather than asking, you know, us asking right out of the gate for a recounting of everything. But as I mentioned um, before we brought you on, yours is probably one of the two most iconic abduction in cases in history, along with 
Denny and Barney Hill incident. But um, this happened, as you mentioned, in Snowflake, Arizona in 1975. Now, Travis, were you born in Arizona? Are you a native? Yes, there? I was. I was born in Phoenix. Okay. And what was it like growing up for you uh, as a young man? I mean, did you play sports? Were you an outdoors type kid? No, I've always been an outdoors person. It had a lot to do with where we lived. You know, I just uh, lived in a rural place a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And as far as growing up, typical kid in the 70s, I graduated from high school in 1975. So typical kid in the 70s, we heard about UFOs and things like that. Was your experience or your introduction to that pretty much the same as it was with the rest of us, movies, TV, magazines, things like that? There was very little reference to aliens when I was a small child. It was... Uh, um, Mostly, you know, it'd be a cartoon type thing. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, uh, I don't remember anything. Yeah, I, I, I know for myself growing up as even a very little kid, I was like fascinated with uh, the space program when astronauts were still heroes back then. And being launched was was something that was remarkable rather than just... Um, you know, pretty mundane the way we look at it now. We shoot things into space. And then when this whole UFO phenomenon came, like I was kind of like, well, what is this all about? Um, but going to that night, there is something I'm not sure a lot of people know. I've heard you talk about this, is that um, that particular night, there were other reports of something in the sky from other people that night. Your sighting wasn't unique in the regard that other people saw it that night as well. Not yeah. maybe your incident, but they there certainly... Was, there were other people in the area that saw it. Mm -hmm. And also there were some things nationwide. That was the night that uh, that they had just had this, uh, where these sightings had been uh, correlated with missile silos uh, shutting down mm -hmm. all across the... Uh, country yeah i mean and you weren't unfamiliar with the spot where this happened because it was a clearing i think that you guys had cut some brush waiting for a controlled burn or something like that so um you certainly probably passed by this area on more than one occasion on your way out of there is that correct i don't remember ever going through that part that was a part of the contract we haven't finished yet but the road out of there, it was, we just worked up to the point where it was it was shorter to go um, south to hit the rim road than it was to go back the way we came. Mm -hmm. So was there any reason why you just took a different route or it was? Just like I said, we, you know, we move across the contract and cover the acreage, uh, uh, you know, in a given day, you got seven men cutting trees and. Uh, putting acreage behind us. And so that's what moves us forward on the contract. Yeah. I mean, in describing what you saw that night, you have described it as something that's metallic. Um, and you've also talked about different types and different forms of craft, whether that's cigar shaped, the typical ones, cylindrical shaped, uh, triangular shaped. Um, we've created in, in, in our world, different vehicles for different purposes. We have 
bulldozers, excavators, planes, uh, jets, cars, and each one of those serves a different purpose. And I want to ask if you think the different variations of craft that people report maybe fall into that category as well, that different vehicles are used for different purposes. Yeah, yeah, I would think, you know, it's just uh, not necessarily different uh, entities, but just for different purposes. Uh, certainly the, the smaller uh, disc light craft are more, uh, you know, uh, utilitarian and, uh, you know, little a small mission kind of a thing. Maybe not the, the craft they arrived here in. Mm-hmm. Probably, I mean, you have some things that uh, maybe for observation and other things for, you know, we don't know. I mean, we're still trying to figure out the purposes of that. But I wanted to bring a couple of pictures up here because I found this kind of fascinating. Uh, this is just, um, if I can find this, artist, an artist rendition of what was seen that night. And for those of you who are familiar with Bob Lazar's story, this is his drawing of what he called the sport model, which he worked on at Area 51. And the, um, the similarities between those two crafts struck me um, as being incredibly similar. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, it's actually the most similar of, of all the many descriptions. Of course, I've seen some other things in my lifetime, too, that mm -hmm. uh, correspond in other ways, you know, triangular sphere, those kinds of things. Yeah. How much of that do you think are maybe black ops projects? Things that uh, we well, have you know, people who don't want to believe this say, yes, it's got to be some secret science project of ours. But here's the thing. These giant black triangles have been seen since the 80s. Now, you're going to speculate that we had this super, super advanced technology way back in the 80s. And and uh, 50 years, 60 years later, it, it never nothing ever leaked about it. Nah, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, One I of the things the uh, technology right. was way ahead of anything we had then and now. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the common things when people talk about block triangles and a lot of these uh, craft that they spot is that they move silently. Um, yeah. They hear no source of propulsion. In the case of your incident, that was a little bit different, though. Um, there was a noise from this craft that you reported, you could hear and as well as feel physically. Um, do you think that that is some type of clue as to, to the propulsion system of that particular craft? Looking back well, on it I now. I gave a talk to some engineering students uh, uh, once, I think it was MIT or something. And these guys were very, very interested in the exact uh, sound that it was making, which of course, very hard for me to describe in a way that is <laughs> as much use for, to them. But that, that was what the part uh, that they were keenly interested in uh, because maybe they could decipher or compare it to uh, theories that they had. But um, heck, we, it, could, we, uh, it could have been a malfunction that was creating the noise. So I, I don't know because the craft that returned me was silent. Mm -hmm. Were they 
pretty much looking at these particular students, were they looking at this as kind of a harmonic propulsion? Uh, that's the kind of thing they that, that really if, uh, trying to inform me, they were just trying to learn for themselves uh, if it uh, corresponded with theories that they were working on. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Travis, that you've talked about in the past is again that sound and the, the heavy thunder to a, a constant vibration kind of a thing. And one of the things you compare is where we have been in the last 50 years, 100 years, as far as technological advances. And if some of these civilizations are millions, if not billions of years advanced on that, where we are right now, you know, one of the things we talk about is harmonics and what we can do with certain things, being able to allow uh, this sound to be able to suspend certain items. And the possibility is, is that if they are millions or billions of years further advanced than us, then the type of things that we are just discovering in scientific labs right now would be the uh, would be the ancestor of what they're capable of doing right now. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure that, you know, our science is definitely far in advance of what's been revealed, but uh, perhaps not so advanced as uh, uh, as the performance of these craft uh, as it's True. Been by military observers. True. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we take, uh, you take a drone today and take it back 200 years and that's witchcraft just 200 years 200,000 yeah. years advanced in what the capability is and uh, and, and uh, you know I'm going in a different direction here and again I want to throw it back to you right after but it, it just came to my mind uh, earlier today doing the research is in these encounters with these extraterrestrials um, two points come to mind for me number one uh, kind of the pheromone theory, you know, you walk into a, a home or a bar and there's just been a fight and you can sense the animosity uh, within the air. During this abduction and, you know, you've accounted for what you had to do to defend yourself to try to get out of there, your fight or flight mentality. But did you have a sense of their energies? Was it benevolent? Was it malignant? Uh, was there anything that you could sense from it that would tell us this is almost as you would expose you know you've said before uh us well, i have to by. meditate on that one i i can't uh, <laughs> right <laughs> i can't recall being real conscious of uh a particular odor yeah or 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 a sense of energy from them right uh and if they're looking at us as just a science experiment there probably would be an absence well, my, of my uh uh perception of the situation my my uh, interpretation was just overwhelmed by the pain i was in the feeling of suffocation it was total panic and that just sort of bypasses reason and and perception in in ways that you can't imagine it was a, a most uh, terrifying time of my life it had to be had to be i'm sorry can to interrupt oh by all means not a problem travis that night how close Physically, did you, at the closest point, did you get to that craft? Well, um, at the moment the blast of energy hit, that was the closest point. And that was the reason I had one theory that perhaps it was an accidental discharge. And just by closing that gap, the energy jumped to Earth through me. Mm -hmm. So do you think that 
perhaps now, again, looking at it almost 50 years later, having a chance to think about this a little bit, that what had happened to you in terms of the blast was just something residual from the craft's existence, being there, its propulsion system, or something along those lines. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, you know, perhaps uh, something moving through that dry fall air at high speed could have developed a, a, a static charge that um, they might have been aware that I was putting myself in danger, but not necessarily a, an intentional beam or, or something that they were firing at me necessarily. Well, I had another theory, you know, after learning sometime later that uh, that area of the rim there is uh, has the highest frequency of lightning strikes of any area uh, in the United States outside of the Florida Everglades, which has the number one frequency. Mm. But um, so if there's a high frequency of lightning strikes, perhaps there was a, a lightning strike on the craft that just, uh, and I was a secondary discharge. Yeah. Uh, you, grounding. Yeah. Do you think there's a correlation with appearance of a craft, any craft like that in an area where there's a high incidence of lightning strikes and um, being seen over so many nuclear bases as people have reported? Well, in the case of the lightning, uh, uh, there's um, a phenomenon that I only learned about recently. I was at a, uh, a show that had a, there was a gym show next door and they had some crystals there and they said, this is fulgurite. I said, what's fulgurite? Fulgurite are crystals that are formed when lightning hits the earth. You got millions of volts and millions of degrees uh, causing an instantaneous crystallization of the substances that are there and um they're not they're you they're not uh, created artificially so the theory being that perhaps they were in the area looking for these crystals yeah we've pulled up a picture of that particular area and some crystallization on a tree stump there and i'm not sure that's exactly what you're talking about but it gives the viewers some kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, indication of heat signatures and what they can do and the residue that they can leave as well. Well, when I brought this subject up on the Joe Rogan show, they just real quick looked something up online and had some real exotic uh, formations that uh, from uh, lightning strikes uh, that um, I'd never seen before, but uh, with the variety was amazing. You know, they're not all one look to them. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the nature of the minerals in the deposit. Mm -hmm. In going back and returning to that area and people doing their own research there, can you tell us a little bit about some of the residue that's been found? Was there high magnetic? Besides the crystallization, was there any kind of radiation signature or well, a return uh, trip there in in uh, just before the movie came out which would have been 92 93 um paramount wanted to do an interview on the site and i said no we can't do that and we don't go out there at this time of year there's three feet of snow out there you there's no vehicle that can do it 
Well, they uh, pulled some strings or something and got these snow cats from the uh, ski run. And uh, from the highway, we rode into the site on that and made it to the site, took pictures, did an interview. And I found out later that uh, Mike Rogers, the crew boss, uh, thought that uh, there was another reason we were having trouble locating the exact spot other than deep snow that um the trees had grown faster and, and were larger than they should have been in in the time that uh, had gone by and uh without saying anything to anybody he went back and took core samples uh after the snow melted and uh discovered that yes indeed that counting back see there's one tree ring for each year and counting back the number of years to the time the incident happened, there was sudden a huge um, increase in the thickness of these growth rings. And that uh, was quite a shock. And, uh, you know, it was you could you could see that for 86 years or something of that nature, back to the time the tree had very first grown, the, uh, the tree uh, rings were quite uniform. And then at the time of the incident, counting back. You know, in 93, you just go back and, and to the time it happened. And there was a, a very sudden and distinct increase in those growth rings. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't uh, until quite a few years later that it was discovered that this uh, increase in thickness of these growth rings was directional. That the thickening of the tree was only on one side of the tree in the direction that the craft had been. So um, going around the circle of the clearing, this thickened um, side of the tree was towards where the craft had been. And that was uh, extremely interesting, too. Mm -hmm. um, after this incident, Travis, and everything, you know, we know about the polygraph tests and all the rest of that. When, did, when were, or should I say who, in the UFO community was the first one to reach out to you, whether it was a citizen's organization, um, but who was the first to reach out to you and say, hey, we want to talk to you. We want to hear your story. Well, um, the first contact came from uh, uh, an organization that was, it was the oldest and the largest at the time, it was the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. And they had contacted my brother uh, during the search and, uh, you know, gave their contact information, said if he should be returned or if there should be, we can find him or whatever, get in touch with us. And so um, he was the one that, um, um, he he contacted after we uh, reached his home in Phoenix. Now, um, I was in a very fragile condition, but my brother was desperate to get some medical uh, uh, um, attention. And uh, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization actually had two medical doctors in their Phoenix membership who uh, volunteered to come to my brother's house and perform an examination 
there on the spot that that morning that uh, and then further tests were done uh, in one of the um, doctor's offices uh, the next day. Okay. A couple of questions for you on this. And if I'm ignorant of this, I, I beg your pardon, but were you at any point put through regression hypnosis like a lot of abductees are, or was that even a thing then? Yeah, they had some uh, 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 hypnotist in their membership, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. James Harder, okay. and uh, he did some uh, hypnosis, and this was in the presence of a couple of other uh, psychiatrists that were in uh, the uh, APRO membership. Mm -hmm. They were present during the, the hypnosis. Mm -hmm. That was a kind of a landmark for me because I was uh, so traumatized to I couldn't couldn't hardly speak at, at all, let alone. That was the first time uh, anyone had heard uh, uh, entirely mm -hmm. an account of what had uh, happened while I was gone. Well, this is a pretty common thing. Abductees um, are asked to submit to. And I was curious as to your general feelings about that practice, about regression hypnotherapy because it, it doesn't come without risks. Well, I know. And uh, I know one of the other crewmen was regressed in a way that I don't think was exactly, <clears throat> must not have been done properly because he, it was extremely traumatic for him. Um, in my case, I lucked out. And I, I did not consider hypnosis to be um, an alternative lie detector or anything like that. Mm -hmm. For me, it was um, a turning point in my ability to handle the fear and the stress, the intense um, calculated relaxation procedure to bring about the, the, um, the, the so-called trance uh, was uh, something that allowed me to really turn down a lot of the fear that I was uh, having. Uh, it was still a very, um, hard thing to handle after that, but still, it was a major turning point in, in being able to talk. Yeah. Well, there has to be care taken with this because of the possibility of place memories. How the question is asked is everything, because you don't want anybody to place any suggestion in your mind. You just basically want a hypnotherapist to ask you in your own words, what happened and not suggest something. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of like uh, in court, <laughs> where were you standing when you committed this act? You know, <laughs> that kind of a thing. Exactly. So it, it, and, and so I always kind of wondered about that because it's almost, the type of thing that's part of the process now. It's like, so I, I just wonder people who have been through it. I don't know. A lot I think that's one it. area in uh, ufology and then paranormal that could probably use a great deal more uh, development and study uh, in order to get the technique correct. I agree. And before I bring George in here, I want to go back to this whole technological thing. 
Uh, I have maintained, I'm interested to know what you think, is that we are guilty of our own arrogance here. When we talk about uh, it's impossible to travel these distances simply because we haven't yet. So we <laughs> yeah. kind of look at things through that lens because technologically, and I'm just curious how you feel about this. Technology depends on your starting point. Okay. I mean, fire was the greatest thing that ever happened to man. And then after that, primitive tools, and then the steam engine, then the combustion engine, and then nuclear, po nuclear power. But what if where another civilization comes from, because of the resources available to them, they actually start with nuclear power, where we've led up, but that's like the fundamental thing they're dealing with. How advanced must they be at this point in their, in their evolution? Well, I look at it a little differently. Um, learning, you know, from astronomy, the the incredible uh, enormity, the size of the universe and the age, um, that some of these star systems are millions, billions of years older than us. So rather than uh, progressing more rapidly than us, that they... Um, Actually, heck, they could have been progressing at a, a, a tenth the speed that we have progressed at, but they're just vastly older than us. Uh, and we've everything technologically we have is three or four hundred years old. Everything before that, the only thing we had was fire. And so, um, you know, if if they had uh, same several million years to develop. We can't begin to imagine what the limits would be, the so-called, oh, that's impossible. They couldn't do that. Since we can't, we they can't. Yeah, all right. George, I'm going to bring you in here. Travis, I will return, sir. Thank you for your time. I'll be back a little bit later. And I know that chat right now is hopping and the messages of yes. support that people are giving you, I'm just kind of peeking off and cheating here to the right-hand side uh, is phenomenal. We'll get to some of their questions a little later if that's okay. But right now, George. Yeah, and uh, actually there's a couple of uh, comments and questions that I wanted to bring up uh, for you now, Travis. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, a very nice uh, sentiment from uh, Aaron Bush who basically wanted to say, thank you for your honesty and bravery in telling your story. Um, and uh, thank you, Aaron. But the, the questions also coming out from there are quite compelling. Uh, one is from uh, Jeff Hilton, uh, Travis, uh, since you have been abducted, can you tell whether other stories out there are fake? And if so, what do you tell them? I know you've told some interesting stories about that. People who always want to come up uh, and, uh, and give you their experiences. They want to share in it. Uh, how do those circumstances come about where you're kind of skeptical about what they're giving you? Well, I can be, you know, quite supportive of people who have experienced a similar trauma. And uh, I just have always wanted to avoid getting myself in a position of being uh, a, a pass-fail kind of a thing. This this is a good case. That's <laughs> not one. And pretty soon it, it would be never-ending. And uh, uh, I wouldn't want to do it for one good reason. People were passing judgment on what happened to us. And they didn't even have the facts. I'd say get the facts first before you make any judgment. 
So I, I, you know, in spite of the fact that I've experienced this, I, I don't want to be in the position of judging someone else's experience uh, without yeah. doing the research. And, and uh, you know, the, the the 1970s were an iconic time for things within the realm of the paranormal. And, and Travis, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, – I was looking at where the parallels during that time frame, what happened with you with regards to your abduction, uh, the unbelievable list of the serial killers that were going on at that time. Uh, this of course, which is the um, Bluff Creek incident uh, with uh, regards to Bigfoot. I mean, these are uh, iconic, including you, sir, iconic. That's the in- important word to use in regards to, who you have become within this field uh, and you carry that weight with such grace. And I, I appreciate that part of it, but was there something that was just beginning? Was there a paradigm shift explosion at that point? Why do you think everything was just happening at that time? And I don't believe it stopped. I think it's still happening, but that seemed to be the catalyst that particular decade. Do you, did you feel the same way or have you looked at those comparisons? Well, I've I've heard those kinds of things, and you know, just that uh, the most common suggestion is that nuclear weapons um, stimulated a great surge in interest from uh, these entities because the potential uh, to destroy this uh, very special um, utopia in a very vast uh, universe, got a lot, a lot of dead bodies, <laughs> not, uh, not bodies, but uh, planets and whatnot. Uh, it's a very special planet and the potential to destroy it all is just uh, ridiculous where the technology got way ahead of the degree of civilization that we have here. And the uh, savagery that still exists within man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stan Friedman had a phrase that I, I thought was interesting. Why would they want to come and talk to us? You know, a species whose primary interest seems to be intertribal warfare. And isn't it the truth? Thank you. And I, I've mentioned this on several different discussions with regards to uh, UFO contact. And I, I, I sit there and I go, you know, who would want to bestow upon us the unlocked mysteries of the universe because we'll weaponize it. It's just within the nature of man at this point in time. Immediately, in yeah. And yeah. if even if we didn't weaponize it and destroy something, just the fact that it would uh, uh, destroy the um, economies of the earth. Well, They're yeah. all based on a primitive technology that overnight that would collapse. And uh, that kind of vast economic collapse would be... Uh, uh, result in riots and destruction. Yeah, if we didn't weaponize it, we would villainize it some way, shape, or form, uh, rather than look at the greater good to what it is. Um, yeah. A quick question on off topic. Somebody had mentioned in the chat also, hearing what sounds like the beeping of a phone. Uh, that's uh, I don't know what's going on there. Let me check if I can see that. It's, <laughs> it's... I know you were talking to Bill. I don't know whether he hung up and you didn't. Uh, I'm going to close the sunshade there. The sun has moved a bit. Yeah. 
Our very special guest tonight, who has now exited the camera, Travis Walton. He'll be back in just a second. Um, It's an amazing, amazing night for us here. And again, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, the thumbs up, and the reminder bell. Uh, There we go. Uh, The mystery has been solved. We're good to go on that. Uh, Let's get to another question here uh, in the chat. Um, This one's interesting as well. Uh, It's from Steve Clark. Uh, Are you still in touch with the other guys that you were working with during the abduction? And what is their feeling towards you uh, and your story of what happened at this point in time today? Well, uh, we weren't a bunch of buddies when it happened. So, you know, uh, it actually sort of had a tendency to draw us together more than we would have been Um, when we'd get off work. uh, We generally go our, our separate ways couple of guys would pair off here in that way but uh generally uh we led separate lives and we would be called together to do programs or you know be interviewed or something like that periodically but it didn't it didn't really um make us hang out together all the time but it was a bond that exists to this day uh we all experienced something very profound and uh only between each other can we, you know, know with, uh, relate in a way with total confidence because, you know, as extraordinary as it is and the extensive um, disproof of all the counter theories and all the evidence that's been provided, there's always, you know, a little shred of, could this not be true? You know, they're looking for that. So, I have to steer clear of telling little bits of information in just in unusual things about nature or something like that, just because uh, of the unique position I occupy. Uh, When I do resort to those kinds of things, I'll either um, tell all the different people who were there with me (laughs) or uh, point them in the direction of where they can look it up and verify it for themselves right exactly exactly and and, you know i see a kind of a parallel to a very dear friend of mine if you've heard of the movie the conjuring and know about the story again during the 1970s uh dear friend of mine dear friend of ken andrea perrin she's the eldest daughter of the family that went through that and you know there are strained parts of relationship between the family who went through this ordeal but it would be like any other family whatever kind of a situation could have occurred during that time frame uh, can upset the balance. And that just tends to happen in families anyway, no matter what the traumatic experience may be in this particular case with them, it was spirit phenomena with you and your brothers uh, that uh, were out there with you working. Uh, It was a UFO experience. Um, Let me bring this one up here for you now. Uh, This is uh, UFO T that says, what role did ground saucer watch play after your return, did you meet with them at the Phoenix Westward Ho Hotel with Dwayne? Thank you so much, sir. I have studied your case for years. Um, my uh, memory of them was uh, a little brief, and uh, uh, they kind of got into a dispute, a territorial dispute perhaps, with uh, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. And... Uh, it um, became a kind of a negative factor, if I remember right, eventually. Wow. Um, 
It's a, um, again, uh, I would imagine because of the media sensation and the media attention to this, uh, unwelcomed uh, on a lot of circumstances when people have this kind of an event, uh, you cannot escape it, can you? When it becomes something that is this traumatic and rare, you're going to find everybody coming out from under the woodwork looking to get part of that story because media sells without question. Uh, that yeah. bombardment, it's got to it's be overwhelming. Jealousy, attention-seeking, um, one-upmanship, uh, uh, kind of a sad look at some of the uh, human frailties. Uh, yeah, it's a shame of it. We're speaking with Travis Walton. We've got questions in the chat. Um, this is uh, from one of our good friends. It's, uh, how long did it take you to be able to trust anyone with this event? Thank you, Ron. Well, I was pretty withdrawn for quite quite some time, and you know uh, uh, that reflected negatively on me too. Oh, what's he hiding from? He's not out here talking to us, so he must have something to hide. <laughs> so then, when I started doing interviews, okay, I am talking. Oh, now he's an attention seeker, so he can't win. You know, no, no, but there's no win scenario. I, I thought felt it was important uh, to uh, make people understand the reality of this. And not let it get uh, swept under the rug with such silly, um, baseless kinds of things, which in a sensationalist media, they, they just got the headline. They don't have to back it up and, and verify it. I'm remembering now that uh, the guy with Ground Saucer Watch uh, turned out to have fraudulent uh, academic credentials. And so he kind of... really. Uh, disappeared. He claimed to have a degree from Bowling Green University, and he didn't. So, um, holy smokes! His his bid for uh, attention uh, kind of fell through there. Uh, take one more question here. We'll get back with Ken also, which is uh, UFO T again. Travis, do you know why Steve Pierce believes you were taken by operatives at Area Fifty One? What happened? Uh, well, I'll tell you, but I, I hate to say it, but, you know, we've just been discussing this phenomenon, jealousy, you know? Yeah, yeah. How do you be one up on this? Well, I've got a better theory. Here's here's what I think happened. I, I can't deny that it went away, you know? I mean, he's trying to make it go away in a way that puts him center stage. Absolutely. Um, he's claiming he thinks that, but I'll tell you what. Go back to the lie detector test. If he really believes that, pass a test to that effect. I think what he's always, uh, uh, from the beginning, uh, testified to the sheriff and passed lie detector tests about were that he saw the event and it was extraterrestrial. And uh, his hypnosis, uh, again, uh, verified that, seconded that notion anyway. So... Um, it's 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 a sad situation, but uh, uh, I think deep down he, you know, in his heart of hearts, he believes what he originally uh, saw and said and testified to for so many years. This this new idea that well, that was really just the government uh, simulating something. Oh, baloney! <laughs> and again, you know. In the 1970s. So much work that's gone into providing evidence and all this stuff. And then to suddenly just 
flarp something out there and then people just take oh okay all right fine <laughs> and then run with it like like as if all you gotta do is make a claim and a are there times, uh, I mean, I applaud you for not being more jaded because of the opportunists that are out there, uh, whether it's somebody that wants to say, oh, it happened to me too, and, and you know, for a fact that it didn't, to those who will sensationalize it to their own financial benefit. Um, and yet you have stayed, not only as somebody I mentioned in the chat, uh, true to that story and consistent with that story, but you've still been generous enough with the community and not shut yourself down um and is there a delicate balance there a lot of times with you travis internally it sure is a delicate balance you know and it so happens you're talking to me at a time in my life when i'm thinking about not doing any more interviews anymore i just get um um tired of the uh, um fighting the, the same fight over and over again providing the same proof over and over again um yeah. I could uh, tell these people, um, do your homework. <laughs> well, this is, I can tell you this, whether it be Ken or myself, um, and we appreciate, again, uh, this opportunity to explore you. Uh, Ken has been in the paranormal for nearly 50 years, uh, for myself, 20. But we come from a background more so of ghost investigating. So it's not uncommon especially for residential cases to talk to people who have hauntings in their homes who are having sensational stories of things that are going on and our job is to go in there and help validate it for their own peace of mind not to tear them down and unfortunately there's a lot of people in this community no matter what umbrella that falls under ufology cryptozoology spirit phenomena that are just in there to be the naysayer, to be the skeptic and to tear apart and not give some credibility uh, to the experience of what this person has gone through and are and is still enduring. You know, unless you are speaking to us right now from a $70 million mansion, you know, Zach Bagans, who is a <laughs> funny guy in ghost. That figure. People claim that that's the kind of money I got. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, and, and, I'm and driving not a, an 81 forerunner with a big dent in the back of it. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, it'd be, it'd be, no, actually I am working on um, getting a remake of the movie. Uh, to, oh, sensational. Uh, tell, tell it more accurately. Uh, are you going um, to be, is it a part of you involved with the screenplay or just as a consultant? Well, my, uh, I'm going to stick with uh, script approval, uh, you know, uh, Very nice. I didn't have much say. A lot of people blame me for what Hollywood did with the movie, but uh, even Tracy Torme, the screenwriter at the time, uh, who we had on, we had Tracy on probably about a month ago, and uh, he fought for uh, uh, many things to try to keep it uh, more close to what actually happened, but. Uh, this this new project uh, will be an opportunity to uh, um, stay true to what really happened and not distort it. However, and people have to get this through their head, if Hollywood is going to make a dramatic representation, there's certain creative um, factors that must be taken into consideration. Uh, uh, a dramatic movie is not a documentary, and it's 
uh, it's not going to be point by point exactly what happened. That would uh, be a 10-hour movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's the same thing we talk about with regards to ghost hunting. It's really sitting on a slab of concrete for six hours talking to yourself, but they've got to make it into a movie sensationalized and people being lifted in the air and dragged around. So they'll they'll put way more into it than is actually necessary, but that's Hollywood. We understand that part of it, but that that's awesome. Do, do uh, I have the, have things started turning already, getting ready for this, or are you just in the initial well, talks? Well, uh, so far the uh, opening scene, um, I, I think we've got a better way of uh, starting off rather than having the, the complete terror of the crew fleeing the woods. We're going to start off with me waking up disoriented, making my way into town. It's like, oh, my God, what happened? And a sort of a let's let the audience kind of explore this and work their way into it the way the way I had to, you know, um, going back. Yeah, exactly. Let's start from a, where they're at instead of feeling like they've uh, walked into the movie and it, it's started without them, you know. It's tremendous. I, I'm excited about the fact that this project is moving forward. Uh, Ken, uh, if you want to come back on with us here also, I know there's a few questions more, and we're going to come up on our break here in just a few minutes, but I'll turn it back over to you, sir, for right now. Yeah, thank you much. We'll take us into break right now. And um <clears throat> actually going to hit another question for Travis right now, if I could do so, from uh, – Jane Von Gerlden, um, so many abductees are returned with a message for humanity. Do you feel you were given one? Um, well, I don't know if they told me to say it, but I do have a message. Uh, you know, I've uh, tried to summarize certain things. One of them is uh, no matter what you're looking at and considering, get the facts first. Don't Don't begin with a belief and then gather points to support your, your belief. Look at the facts and then see what belief that generates in you. And, you know, people get it backwards. Start, they start with a belief and then, uh, and then look to support it instead of looking for the facts and seeing what sort of belief that brings, brings about in them. Mm-hmm. I think what we'll do right now, we're about two minutes away. So rather than, you know, get into anything to take us over, um, maybe we'll go to break right now, Bill. And uh, on the back side, I want to talk to Travis a little bit about UFO disclosure and Ooh. what we are being given and whether that is worth the paper it's being written on. Um, but right now, George, take us into break and um, we'll do that on the back side. Uh, we cannot say how uh, privileged we are uh, to have Travis Walton join us this evening. We're still uh, going to come back with him on the other side of this break. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Stay with us. You're watching Dead Air Live right here on the Dead Air Full Spectrum Network. We'll be back with you guys in just a little bit. Stay with us.
Who is it? How'd you get this number? Hey, Ken. Hey, man, it's George. Hey, man, what are you doing? Right now, I'm trying to chop ice off of my deck here before somebody breaks their neck. What are you doing today? Me? Oh, you know, ghost hunting. Hey, listen, Bill from KGRA wants us to do a commercial, a promo for the show for them to play. Got any ideas? I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to film a commercial or something like that. Well, hey, why don't we just do a montage or something, like clips from the show and just call it a day. Okay, yeah. Just put a bunch of highlighted parts of the show. Not a problem. I'll take care of that. Listen, have a great day. I'm almost done here. Yeah, all right, man. Let me know how you make out, all right? Yeah, you bet. Be good. I'm okay. Tony, I love you. I love you, too. Yeah, you know what? That's why I hate when I say all the people in the Northeast are so rude. I'm like, you, I'm down here, and I'm being nice, and everybody's like, you know, not, not even a wave. I'm like, you're not going to get the coronavirus from waving at somebody. A little close-up view. Let's check this out. Hello. Hang on, let's get us on camera again so we can wave. Wave back, Robert. Yeah. You wait? Robert, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing some time, inviting us into your home. I co-authored a book with Andrew Perrin, if anybody was not aware yeah, no, of that. No, no, no one is aware of that. No and I've never been to The Conjuring House. Yeah. I wrote a book. We're going to do this again. With Andrew Perrin, and I've still never been to the farmhouse. Did I mention I, I wrote a book with Andrea? I wanted to, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's over my shoulder there, you know. And I've never we been. Took, we, we took a two-week absence from this, and I've now never. we're back with <laughs> to the Conjuring House. Dude, I, I, I'm hiding, man. It's over. I'm sorry. It's a <laughs> What's going on? I love that blanket. I'm having blanket envy. <laughs> I, I know you are right now, right? <laughs> yes. Sometimes I move it around with my body. It's like Ouija meets Twister. <laughs> In the middle of the night, I contact spirits just by rolling around on it naked. Watch Dead Air on KGRADB.com Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And also, don't forget to check out KGRA YouTube and KGRA on Facebook for all the amazing shows, guests, and topics. Did, 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 did I mention that I wrote a book with Andrea Perrin? Yeah, Travis, Ken and I almost uh, every week we're on the phone. We're talking about the upcoming shows, the guests we're going to have. And and then we talk about the weather and then the aches and pain. I got up from my recliner today and I pulled my calf muscle. 
I don't understand. It, it just ages. And then I took a nap, and when I turn my neck now, there's that pinch nerve by the shoulder blade. If anything, we need we need medical advice from the extraterrestrials <laughs> to get past this. Well, you reach a certain age, you hurt yourself getting out of bed in the morning. That's just the way it is. But welcome back, everyone. <laughs> yes. Very special guest, Travis Walton of Fire in the Sky, the book. You can find it on Amazon. And, of course, you guys all know the motion picture and the soon-to-be remake, which is going to be absolutely incredible. And, uh, and, and again, we thank you so much for joining us tonight, Travis. And uh, I know that, uh, uh, as you were saying earlier, you know, doing a lot of these interviews, it becomes the same redundant regurgitation of everything that uh, everybody's asking along the way. And, and I, I – take pride as well as Ken does to, to try and go outside of that also. But there are certain things that people either in the chat uh, are going to ask about, even people that I talked to, you know, Hey, Travis is coming on. They wanted to know about, but the biggest thing is the community, the UFO community, UFO conferences. Uh, when you are dealing with what is transpiring in the field right now and moving forward, do you see things lacking with regards to management ownership of the UFO community that they are not paying attention to progressing forward on? I got into a fight years ago with Richard Nolan on the show because I said, you guys just constantly bring up the same stories. You're just telling other people's experiences. Why are you not going out for your own experiences? He wasn't very happy with that. Should that be part of the field? Oh, I don't know. I think that this is um, a pretty rare event. You know, I wouldn't find fault with somebody for just uh, uh, um, exploring other people's reports because as common as you think they might be, it's really kind of a rare event. You know, how many people have said to me, well, you know, I've never seen anything like that. And I go, well, do you ever look up? And they're <laughs> kind of like stop and it kind of catches them by surprise you know they don't i'm a very outdoor sort of a person in a part of the country that is um um very uh clear skies it's not overcast and you can see the sky a lot and there's long open stretches of road and and so i i expect to see more sightings or hear of more accounts uh confided to me sometimes by you know, like police officers, people that are out, they're trained observers. They, It's their job to look around, but they're certainly not in a position to make it known that uh, they've seen these things. Mm -hmm. But um, so people share things with me and I've, I'm honored by that. But uh, um, do, do you still to this day, driving at night, taking a walk in the evening time, do you look up with certain anticipation yeah yeah i do and um you know the uh, incident that i had with the giant black triangle i was surprised at my reaction uh, describe that uh it was just a point of light off in the distance but it approached so fast you wouldn't believe that something could be that remote when you're driving along and you see uh, uh, a 747 coming into the for a landing uh, you know it's going hundreds of miles an hour it'd fall out of the sky yet it seems to be barely moving 
Well, exactly. this thing just flashed from a, one little point of light to three lights. And this gigantic, I mean, really unbelievably large object stopped right over the top of us. Um, I wanted and to ask uh, Travis, if I could, 20 years later, we had an incident in your state called the Phoenix Lights. Um, can yeah, you well, give us, some, was, was like give us some thoughts on that? Yeah, the Phoenix Lights was one of these giant black triangles. It so happened that it moved slowly over the state. Uh, <clears throat> the one I saw moved very quickly, stopped abruptly right over the top of us. This was, um, I would have, would have never reported it, except that uh, there were a huge number of reports immediately following it. Other people saw it too. Mm -hmm. But um, it wasn't anything like the Phoenix Lights. And the Phoenix Lights was, it moved so slowly. And I know they can move unbelievably fast. When it, when it turned 90 degrees and and shot off towards the, the Pacific Ocean, it, it accelerated incredibly fast. So um, in the case of the Phoenix Lights, I doubt it was like uh, they were having mechanical trouble or anything. I think it was a, a show that was put on. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people think that they're lucky to, to glimpse these things. You were talking about why don't these researchers just go out and make their own sightings? But I think it's basically at the election of the uh, of the aliens. It's I don't think sightings are accidental. And you know I've had you know forty five years to think about this. I doubt the aliens slapped their forehead and said, "Ah, oh, aliens! Uh, so these humans spotted me again. I'm going to have to be more careful next time." You know, I I I'd go so far. I'm so far from what I originally thought. I was kind of uh, uh, subscribed to the anthill theory. You know, if you're walking by an anthill, do you stop and say, you know, I think I'll stop and have a conversation with that ant right there. But no, it's more like if you saw one when you were 12 years old and you see one when you're 45, they know it's you. Yeah. And uh, it's because their capacity for knowledge is vastly greater than ours, I'm presuming, um, because of the technology. And uh, a lot of people may have forgotten uh, this thing called the Utah Data Center. It's uh, a giant computer, covers acres and acres and acres, takes millions of gallons just to cool that thing. And basically, it's recording every electronic transmission on the face of the Earth. This was on 60 Minutes. You can look it up online. I, I'm, I'm having you go look it up. I'm not making this up. It's one of those stories. Um, the Utah Data Center is huge, but it just, you know, went quiet. Nobody wants to talk about that anymore. Nobody refers to it. It's just this giant super secret, secret thing that they couldn't really say it's not there because it's huge. I mean, it covers a great amount of air area. I saw um Aerial America thing on the thing just this last week that showed pictures of that thing from the air. First time I'd ever seen that. But yeah. um, if if humans can store that much information, certainly these beings can handle a simple thing like remembering you from a past encounter. 
as it's not that much um, information. And I thought it was kind of arrogant and self-centered and maybe self-important for people to say, oh, I, I stepped this way and then it moved that way. And it was like it was responding to me. Heck yeah. You know, the, these uh, uh, I think these sightings are s selective. So uh, for this researcher you were talking to, go out and have your own experience. Uh, it's not really up to us. It's up to them. They they pick and choose who and when they're going to be seen. And and I think with a sort of a an agenda, in general, it might be nothing more than a gradual conditioning process. Yeah. You know, first just to admit that there's something else in the universe. It's astonishing that people who, you know, when you give them a little basic astronomy, uh, you know, that there's literally trillions of planets in this galaxy alone, and that many of those points of light that we see in our night sky as a single star are actually entire galaxies, Correct. like the Milky Way, our galaxy. Uh, the universe is so huge uh, to presume that we're the only life here, wake up, people. <laughs> yeah. In Arizona, I know that I can't think of her first name, but there was a councilwoman there, uh, Barnwell, I think, where the name was. And she was ridiculed for actually coming forward and saying, my constituents would like an explanation of what happened that night. And I think the governor at the time, Symington, made a big show about bringing in his assistant dressed as an alien and then later on admitted that he had seen something like that. But as usually is the case, you know, the military kind of, well, we were lighting off flares and things like that. What I wanted to ask before we went to break was last year was supposed to be a big event with the uh, disclosure um, that we are studying, the military is studying this. They're taking reports more seriously. So they came out with a report, which in my mind said a lot by saying really nothing. So <laughs> what I wanted to ask is that in terms of this disclosure that everyone was all excited about, I mean, it seems like we're just getting the same kind of, well, it's national security. We can't talk about that. Um, are we getting are we getting better, Travis? Are, are we getting to a point you mentioned? Maybe it's a conditioning type of thing. Um, who eventually well, is I going think, to decide uh, the problem that? With this this disclosure, this recent uh, series of events, it began with the announcement that we're going to make this disclosure, and then along came a new administration, mm -hmm. and they didn't want to do it, but they can't say. Uh, we're not going to do it. You were promised this, but we're just going to shut it down. So they just gave a fake disclosure that was just kind of a, we already knew all that stuff. You know, this yeah. is all just uh, stuff we've already seen. The the um, um, Navy um, gun camera, gunship uh, camera footage um, was released. Now, you can't do this stuff. This is classified information without approval from on high. But it was done in a very measured way. Late on a Friday, this is where they announce things that they don't want to get too much attention on. That way, 
excitement dies down by the time Monday rolls around and a new uh, new cycle comes on. So it was a soft release. And prior to this, this new so-called disclosure, and so in order to fill the space, they basically just um, didn't want to say, we're not going to do what the last president did. We're going to, we're, 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 we're going to give you what, what was promised. And then they didn't. Right. We'll just, we'll just name it that. Yeah. It was a whole lot of nothing. Let me ask you this. Do you think, because you've obviously, because of your situation, you've got to talk to people. Like I assume you, you maybe talked at one point before he passed to someone like Stanton Friedman, you know, and people that we admired in the community because they asked questions. Um, do you think, after talking to some of these people, that we are in fact in possession of alien technology and we have used that technology in some everyday, like they talk about the microwave oven and things like that and how we made this leap. Do you believe that that's the case? Well, I think uh, that it's pretty likely that our government came into possession of some things. Maybe it was wreckage or something, but um, I think people who are, demanding disclosure or barking up the wrong tree. Uh, we unfortunately live in a world with uh, competing nations and the, the biggest deterrent against them is not knowing what we have. If we were to throw up on the books as um, so many Americans want them to do, here's all of our secrets. Are the Chinese and the Russians going to do that too? No, they're not. But they will have an exact measure of what we've got and whether our stuff is better than the stuff they've recovered is debatable. But it's best to keep them guessing for our own safety. Yeah. I want uh, to uh, uh, add, before you go forward, that was the most incredibly accurate and reasonable and rational answer I've heard so far about because I've had my own uh, this, you know, well, I don't think our government is in some nefarious conspiracy against us. They, they live here. They've got kids, too. Yeah. They're coping with a powerful information with huge consequences. I, I think they're doing what they have to do. I agree. Yeah. I think well, playing into a large part of that is also the corporate structure as well. Because oh, yeah, have these technologies, there's money to be made. billion dollar fortunes at stake. Absolutely. I don't want to neglect anybody in chat. So every once in a while, we'll pop a question on here. Aaron Bush again for you, Travis. Have you been able to come to some sort of peace with your experience? Um, We assume you did. But how long did that take that you were able to go out and speak of this openly? Yes, so uh, we're having a little lag here in the in okay. the electronics, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I think I've um, come to a much greater. You know that thing I was starting to tell you about when we saw the giant triangle. My my son yeah. said, "Dad, Dad, should we pull over and take a picture?" And I go, "No, no, keep going." And I was just so surprised at myself that I wasted an opportunity to get a photo. 
I was surprised that I'd have that much fear. I, I thought I was way past that. So I really regret not taking photos. But the fact that there were, you know, other people, I, I'm looking to get in contact with them um, and see if any of them took a picture. Yeah. Now, in 1975, like I said, I graduated high school that year. You were 21 years old. Since then, we've made all these leaps in technology as far as video documentation. But the flip side of that is there is uh, a much easier way to hoax these things. And you see them all over the Internet, UFOs and, and all the rest of this. I don't know how much you pay mind to that at all, but... When you see these type of things, having gone through a real experience and just people are just creating things and hoaxing things and just trying to get attention. Um, do you pay that much mind at all? Does it bother you? In I any don't way pay too anything? much attention to that stuff. Those uh, the guys and there's all different forms of this. And it's not just uh, alien photos or something. You know, the, the people saying things just for entertainment. All they do is sit in front of that computer all day and uh, we call them trolls or whatever. People that just, you got a name for these people. They do this stuff just to entertain themselves and it's it's immoral. It's just, uh, you know, you ought to have a little personal dignity and not do those kind of things. But I think it also compromises the real stories, things that have happened out there, because I think we get desensitized to it a little bit, where someone could actually post something that's legitimate, but we've seen so many fugazis and false things out there, we tend to pass it over. That's probably the danger of that. Yeah, yeah that's what they're doing. They're muddy in the waters. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Frezza has a question for you, Travis. Out of the many shows and documentaries that have told your story, what's one of the most accurate? Well, I'll give you two. Uh, one is a 90-minute special. It's normally a one-hour show um, called Paranormal Witness. Uh, mine was an, an hour and a half in length, uh, uh, much longer than their normal length. And uh, that guy did a phenomenal job, very thorough, very accurate. He went so far as to, you know, the make and model of the truck and the chainsaws, which nobody cares about, but he did his best to make everything as accurate as he could. And it's, it's a phenomenal piece of work. And another one called Travis. And I would never name something after myself, but... Uh, it, I didn't name it, but it was uh, uh, another 90-minute uh, documentary that uh, um, had the cooperation of a whole lot of people close to the story. So a lot of things were included there, including uh, some things that developed later, like the tree ring research that came out. Um, so it's special in its own regard. So those two are the top two. Uh, Paranormal Witness, it's an uh, episode called The Abduction, and and uh, uh, one uh, by On Wings production, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, the, and the film is called Travis. Right. Yeah, I'm aware of it. Uh, take one more before we move on here. Our friend Jeff Hilton, uh, why is there such a rift in the UFO community? 
Why have most become naysayers instead of actual investigators? Well, like I said, we got the, we got idiots popping up saying things irresponsibly, and that uh, makes people angry. And then there's jealousy. People just attack it. If if you can't own it, just attack it. Yeah, yeah. And um, let's do one here. Our friend Cody Desbian, Travis. What do you think of Bob Lazar's story? Has anything he said made sense with what you experienced? Well, as I've said before, I don't want to be the uh, uh, go no go guy as far as cases are concerned. Um, as we discussed, um, the craft he describes is the closest of any that I've encountered. He actually made a deal with the Tester Model Corporation and made these little plastic yeah. models. But yeah. I, I uh, <clears throat> know some friends of his that knew him before all this stuff came out. They used to go out to the desert and uh, build a fire and party and stuff and they knew him as working out there. He wasn't, you know, making a UFO story or talking about anything classified at that time. So they were verifying that they knew he worked there uh, going way back. And my good uh, uh, friend, Stan Friedman, the, uh, uh, rest in peace, uh, was uh, took a damn view of um, Bob Lazar's uh, thing simply because he wasn't in the phone book. And, uh, uh, well, if he was in that really super classified stuff, I don't think being in the phone book is, is a good litmus test. Probably not an option, no. But other than that, <laughs> I've never had a conversation with Bob Lazar. Yeah. There are two um, schools of thought, and people always ask, well, at the end of the day, if we're being visited, what do they want? What is the alien agenda, as they like to say? Because there is a group that says, be careful what you wish for. And I think one of those was the late Stephen Hawking, that we don't want to know what they want because I go back to some of the TV shows where <laughs> the guy says, you know, um, if I wanted to kill you, you'd be dead already. So obviously, I mean, they have that capability. So I don't think it's that. So I guess it's speculative at best, but the alien agenda, what is, are we just a method of observation or in looking back and thinking about this, Travis, what do you say about that? Well, for people that think it's all satanic, you know, then everything, <laughs> no matter what I say, it's all a deception. But I, I don't think, I don't hold with that theory. Um this thing, uh, like I was pointing out about the Black Triangles, they've been around since the 80s, you know. If they wished us ill will, we'd never know what hit us. It, uh, you're not going to have uh, dog fights in the sky like some of these Hollywood movies, uh, jet fighters attacking flying saucers and stuff. Uh, we'd never know what hit us. Uh, they have the technology. They could get rid of us overnight if they wanted the planet for themselves. I don't think that's what's going on. I think that uh, science fiction came up with a brilliant um, theory regarding the whole thing. It's called the non-interference directive from, from Star Trek. Yeah. That um, any sort of contact would be harmful to us. 
not to them. They're perfectly capable of defending themselves, but it'll be so disruptive and so destructive that uh, the best they can do is these very gradual show themselves just short of proof. I mean, they know what camera you got in your hand. They're going to be, they're going to, it's going to be measured. And for a long time, it's going to be just short of that. And even major events like the Phoenix Lights was a show. Uh, so many sightings that people have, you know, what do they want? What do they want? Well, they're just saying, here we are. And yeah. for a certain effect, in, in most cases, I think in my cases, I caused an accident. But I'd say in most cases, it's a sighting that uh, um, it's, it's as minimal effect as, as possible. I had a, a real step two argument. I could be totally wrong. This guy telling me, what do you think about these cases where people have been abducted, dis dissected into pieces and their bodies dumped on the sidewalk? I was at a conference, a MUFON conference in Phoenix. I said, well, give me a name. Give me one name. Hmm. The guy gives me a name. I go, no, no, not the guy that's saying this happened. I'm saying one of the victims. We got DNA, you know. Uh, it be, wouldn't be hard to identify the body of these people. Give me one name. He tried again. No, no, not the guy that's putting this out there that these things happen. I'm talking about one victim's name. Couldn't give me any. So I'm, I'm really skeptical about that because it doesn't fit in with my experience overall. Well, let's talk about that experience. And what I get out of that is if we go with that assumption that somehow you were, I don't know, innocently harmed, then the idea of taking you and perhaps doing something. And of course, you don't understand in the state you're in right now. But let's assume, let's project there was a sense of responsibility that they felt and a certain empathy that they had for you, it's like, my God, this individual, this human got hurt. Let's take him aboard. He's probably not going to be, you know, it's just like caging any animal that you're trying to help. And of course, they don't understand. They're lashing out at you. But well, um, if they were indifferent to my welfare and empathy there, it would have been easy for them to dump me on some asteroid somewhere and have a crew sure. that was just never believed. They made up a story. Oh, we're sure the guy, the men cut him up with a chainsaw and hit his body. And uh, end of story, you know. Uh, so definitely the fact that I was returned at all weighs in favor of the idea that they're not, that, they, they, that they're at least neutral, if not benevolent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to take another question here from Aaron Bush. Who do you think has made the most impact on the American public as it pertains to disclosure, if that's an individual or an organization, I guess? Well, it's been many voices. Uh, um, <clears throat> there's some people who have worked very, very hard at it and uh, haven't. I can name names, but I don't want to do that. But have achieved little response. And then the government finally decides, oh, boy, this, this, this thing of calling everybody that reports something as crazy or lying isn't working anymore. 
It's not destroying their credibility. It's destroying our credibility. So we've got to at least admit that it's a phenomenon. So it's a sort of a measured uh, response on the part of the government to um, uh, prevent the obvious uh, conclusion. I mean, the public uh, has not believed that the government was telling the truth for the most part that um, they don't say, well, the government said it's not real, so it's not real, you know, and nobody goes on with that theory. Um, so to um, give measured amount of uh, corroboration for these events um, helps to prevent further erosion of their own credibility. Right. As you said, if it's a matter of weaponizing it because that's what we do best, then if it's a matter of power, because you talked about financial systems collapsing, well, religion you know, collapsing. one thing that's always given in support of that theory is that when the government comes to Congress, the, the only way they can justify what they're doing because it costs money and time and money on the part of the government is to uh, couch it in terms of national defense, you know, as a threat, pose it as a threat. That right. way that justifies us going and having investigative uh, capacity here. And um, that's uh, really just um, kind of the, the language that the money people speak, uh, you know, how do you, what are you doing looking into this stuff? We're, we're paying you uh, to do a job. And they say, well, we've got to at least make sure it's not something harmful. Uh, so they necessarily have to um, suggest it in those terms. Uh, yeah. Understood. Um, I think our producer, actually, if he wants to come in, uh, Bill, do you have a question for Travis? Where is Bill right now? Okay. So anyway, Bill, there he is. Hey, do you, what are you doing back there? Um, I saw that you had a question for Travis. It's kind of something that I think that you and he would know about i'm kind of in the dark so maybe you want to ask about the fear propaganda yeah he touched on that because there's a narrative that's out there that a lot of people are using labeling labeling extraterrestrials as demonic evil in nature meanwhile i believe in my opinion after speaking with travis they did save his life um it was an accidental incident where whatever he got hit by they took him aboard and um you know but there's a narrative also out there travis it's like um i would say they're trying to say that the deep state is uh, creating an environment where there's false flag that it's going to be a false flag alien extraterrestrial invasion uh, what do you think about this narrative that's out there? Because there seems to be two sides going on here. And I know the individuals on the one side, and I know the individuals on the other side. But what is your take on this whole thing about using it as like a psyop? Well, they, were, they would say I'm just deceived because just because I was treated well that doesn't mean everybody is. But like I said, 
name one body of these dissected people, for example, uh, um, that that whole point of view ha has a an initial uh, advantage with the fact that Hollywood, most of Hollywood's alien movies, are battling monsters, invading monsters. You know, there's just you know a few kind of E.T. or uh, those kind of good guy aliens, but for the most part, most aliens are made, uh, you know, we're battling them and they're going to kill all the humans. And it's countless versions of that. So those kinds of images are, bang are banging around in people's memory and people who want to make a story that gets a lot of attention, get, you know, most of these uh, conspiracy theories and, um, rumors uh, that people post on TV of not n even non-paranormal sorts of things use fear because people are more interested in something that's threatening, and so um, it's it a source of control. Gets, gets gets a lot more attention. Yeah, um, oh, and it's interesting too because there's so much out there, Travis, and it's doing it's really a detriment to the whole UFO community. As you mentioned, there's people out there just trying to make a name for themselves by exploiting other people and trying to, to discredit them and destroy them. Because it's happening, uh, Travis. I'm sure you're aware there are some individuals right now that are being attacked that way. But uh, I, I understand that people are traumatized. Uh, those who claim that they've had experiences, we cannot discount that. But to, to label all of it as being demonic or evil, I mean, we don't even know if we're dealing with interdimensional entities or maybe they're coming from our future. We just don't know. Um, I, I don't know if you can uh, clarify that as far as your experiences, what you thought um, the origin of these entities, you know, these extraterrestrials were, if they were from another world. But there's so many questions out there still. And a lot of people are looking for those answers. And it doesn't do any justice when you have all this kind of bickering going back and forth. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not a, a consented effort to try to just get to the truth and see what is really going on. Mm -hmm. Well, Newtonian physics is, you know, claiming that, you know, they could never get here. It would take too long. But um, when you say interdimensional or time travel, that is probably going to be sort of the nature of how they leapfrog that, that time lag and make it practical to travel from Absolutely. Uh, planet to planet. So it's really the same thing. And, uh, well, if you control, if it's possible to manipulate gravitational waves, you can, by all accomplish anything, anything that you just mentioned. And there is growing evidence that, number one, I think it was in like 2009 that we discovered gravitational waves actually exist. It was theorized before then. So if gravitational manipulation or if you can produce gravity then all of those things everything you've ever read about is possible oh yeah no certainly and uh, we are definitely pouring a lot of money into this kind of research and uh, um, undoubtedly we're making some progress but again we can't share that with the world because they're in a race with us to uh, get ahead of us to I discover the same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Guys, have a great rest of the show. Travis, God bless you and your family. It's great to see you on the show with the, uh, Ken and George. And looking forward to possibly seeing you in the near future. Take care of yourself. 
Hey, no. Thank you. All right, man, let's bring George back on. What have you been doing? Yeah, very special guest, uh, Travis Walton, and uh, again, author of uh, Fire in the Sky. You can find that on Amazon. Also, check out his website. I'll put that link up there here right now so you guys can definitely check it out. Uh, TravisWalton.com. Uh, as a spokesperson, uh, do you have upcoming, forthcoming agenda? Let's say you're not going to do so much of these interviews anymore, but you're you're going to delve into another chapter uh, in your career in this uh, UFO community. Do you have an outline? Uh, have yeah, but I'm not prepared to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we get it out of them. No? So it's top secret. I understand. That's perfectly fine. Other than the movie, other than the movie, which would be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, would it be uh, something that's beneficial to all of us uh, to become a little bit more aware of certain aspects of the UFO community that you have seen to be more beneficial than rather negative. Cause we, we see too much, too much of the negative in this field, but are there individuals or groups that you would say, you know, start following or start watching these people or this person uh, because they're on the right track for what we need in this field. Well, like I said earlier, I, I steer clear of making recommendations, uh, or advocating any one person because someone else is going to feel slighted. And I do have a lot of friends out there too, and um, their relative contribution they, um, varies here and there. And I don't want to uh, offend anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes it difficult. You, you, you put, you know, one person in and somebody else feels left out. I can understand that part of it too. Um, but if you are, <clears throat> If you are going to be a representative, a spokesperson in this field, again, there's so many people out there that take that role. I remember listening back to different radio shows where people said they've been abducted 200, 300 times. Um, When you have to kind of stay away from that and stay on focus with your experiences and things that you're uh, uh, talking with other people in this field about, um, do you find yourself at this point in time uh, finding a direction that this field can benefit from. Because right now what we're seeing a lot of is is just knocking down, knocking down, knocking down, um, including villainizing. But it, just communication, looking to the sky, to the stars. In, in other words, in a sense, let's say the current day Travis Walton were to meet up with Travis Walton right after that abduction. And who's this good-looking guy right here? Let me see. So <laughs> you were able to talk to him at that time about the experience. What kind of comments would you have for him in a positive sense? Oh, I think I could, uh, you know, uh, uh, make, a, make some wiser choices uh, about, you know, who, who I talk to and what I say at the time. But um, in general, uh, the advice I would give to people observing these kinds of things is um, especially if you're going to comment publicly, stick to facts and logic. You're entitled to feelings, intuitions, enthusiasm, uh, uh, emotions of various intensities. That's all fine, but that's personal. If you're going to comment publicly, you know, whether it be about the paranormal or or politics, uh, stick to facts and logic 
these are things that can be tested by the people you're speaking to. Correct. Making proclamations or pronouncements about things is just uh, somebody, you know, putting their opinion out there. Can we, um, George, um, at your indulgence, uh, our good friend Tom Stewart has a question that I think it's uh, probably worth mentioning really quickly. Let me get it up there. Go ahead. Uh, good friend Tom Stewart, do you feel the aliens have attempted to contact or monitor you since the abduction, or was this just a one-off? Well, for years, I wanted it to be one-off, <laughs> but if I gave any sort of a claim about anything more, I'd have to prove it. Can't say anything without proving it. Even speaking about unusual animals or geology or just just points of interest in the world, you know, uh, I fail constantly having to prove it. So, yeah, there's been things that personally I'm certain of, but I can't make anyone else certain of it because I don't have the proof. Like I said, I wouldn't have talked about that in that giant triangle, except that so many reported the same thing and they were, every one of them were, didn't know each other. Yeah, credibility to it, absolutely. Okay. I, I think we're done with questions. George, please continue. Yeah, no, I, I think at this point in time, Travis, and we've only got a few minutes here left, uh, uh, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And, uh, you know, it, it's a rare occurrence uh, when you're doing these interviews. Uh, we feel very, very privileged to have you on. Uh, but, uh, again, when we are having the opportunity to speak with somebody such as yourself, there's usually something uh, – that we may have missed in a question or in discussion. Uh, is there anything that you would like to bring to light? Any message that you would like to put out there to our listening audience? Uh, and again, this will be out there forever and ever and ever. So um, we, we would always appreciate that. Something that we may have missed, something that you wish to uh, relay out there to our viewers. Oh, uh, nothing in, in particular. You know, I think we've said it, you know, if there's a dramatic movie, uh, you know, understand it's not a documentary. And uh, this new movie, I hope to make much more accurate and, uh, and more reflective of my uh, current understanding of things. So it's going to have a different tone, but uh, and be more informative. But don't hold me responsible for the things Hollywood does. Right. I had no say. Did you know I, when I got the, the script to the movie, the entire abduction sequence was missing from the script. They knew I wasn't going to like that, so they didn't even <laughs> let me have it. <laughs> um, just uh, briefly, tell us a little bit about uh, your website, if you could. Um, TravisWalton.com. Um, yeah. yeah, just go on there, and um, I think you can uh, order the book through there. Um, yeah, it talks about the incident, the book, documentary, uh, witnesses, the witnesses. 
Are those others that uh, on that night also had experience with you experience, but, but from a distance further from where you were, of course, is that what that's in pertaining to? Um, the sheriff had uh, on file reports from the people and some of them I was able to follow up with and got personal letters from back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. It's the reason I didn't have a phone of this thing, but also uh, much of the information that I gained from other witnesses that were in the area at the time, people um, hunting, fishing, um, uh, camping over Black Canyon Lake nearby. Um, I, I have those um, paper letters and the sheriff, uh, sheriff's department received a lot of that information. But we had a new sheriff come into town and uh, county sheriff, he uh, built himself a really nice looking new office. And he had all <laughs> those like a Western. He had his deputies take all those files out and dig a big hole, throw them in there and burn them. Ugh. Not just mines, but every, all the records. He just had a really nice office and he didn't want it cluttered up. Jeez. I got to tell you, Sheriff Gillespie, well, you know, in the in the movie was portrayed as being totally negative, but he had uh, genuine integrity beyond anything you'd normally encounter. A really phenomenal man. Uh, he had an opportunity to uh, display that to me earlier when I was a kid. It had nothing to do with this incident. I was in high school. I got a ticket. I went in at the appointed time. The judge wasn't there. Doors locked. So I sat on the uh, step there and waited half an hour and he never show up. So I went home. Next day, I'm walking down the street. Town marshal arrests me, throws me in jail. I'm furious. This is ridiculous. And then I'm just a juvenile. And we had had this incident in Payson, south of here, where uh, three or four guys um, on graduation night were out raising hell. They threw them in the jail and left them with no attendant. The uh, gas heater system leaked and they all died. So here, here we have a miner thrown into jail and... There's no place to sit down. The only place you could sit was the bed, and it was soaking wet. Sink was torn off the wall. So it was a crackerjack jail. I found a broken well, got out of there, but I was still in the judge's office. So I went up into the attic, came down in the adjoining library. Just so happened the town marshal was in there talking to the librarian. Sweet <laughs> talking to her. I just dropped down, went down, caught a ride, and to uh, the sheriff. Uh, Gillespie calls his deputy from Snowflake, Snowflake deputy. He comes walking in there, says, Yeah, we got us a real bad one here. He just tore up our jail, tore the sink off the wall. <laughs> Sheriff Gillespie stands up and he points his finger at his deputy and says, Woody, don't you lie to me. 
I was down there a week ago and that sink was torn off the wall then. Mm. He got real red in the face. They took me home uh, and took me back to Snowflake in the story. And the ticket was dropped, the whole charge with escape from jail and um, um, vandalism in the jail, all that was dropped because they didn't have a leg to stand on. It was just the yeah. trumped up charges. But the, the point of that story is Sheriff Gillespie stood up to his own deputy and said, don't lie to me. That's not the way I have it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the way it, that's the way it was back then. Yeah. Simpler times, straight times, but they go, ladies and gentlemen, Travis Walton, THL Razor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are, these are the anecdotes that we enjoy, the behind the scenes, without question. Travis, we are up against the clock here. I cannot thank you enough uh, on behalf of Mr. Ken DeCosta and of course so Bill much. Forte, uh, taking uh, time out on your Sunday. And uh, we we wish you the best uh, moving forward. And uh, we're going to keep uh, looking to the sky and we're going to keep looking towards media to see what's coming up, including that movie. So we wish you the best of luck, sir. Well, thank you. All the best to you and yours, Travis. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just keep, keep looking, uh, checking my site for my future uh, events I've got coming up. Certainly will. Certainly will. And if it's anywhere within our areas, make sure you book one in Philadelphia. Florida. In Philadelphia, yeah. I got one or a couple in Brazil, but uh, uh, there's nice. some other ones stateside. I'm up in the Northeast, so I may. I may run into you. Let me hit the Philly yeah. one there for sure. See you around. <laughs> you take care of myself, uh, my friend. You take care, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank Good night. Thank you again. Good night. What a well, that was uh, kind of an honor, wasn't it? Illuminating. Illuminating. And, great uh, guy. And Bill, I want to thank Bill also for getting this all set up for us. So appreciate that as well, Bill. Yeah, thank um, you. Chat was jumping tonight. Just a quick shout out yeah, to great, everybody great. who participated in the show tonight. We love you guys. Remind you, subscribe to Dead Air Full Spectrum. There's all sorts of great content on there. And if you haven't yet, you might be surprised. You actually may be entertained if you're not careful. Yeah. Oh, by the way, why don't you mention what's going to be coming up this Thursday, Ken? Uh, oh, uh, tomorrow night is uh, our usual Monday Night Monsters. Yes. On Dead Air Full Spectrum, uh, Ron Murphy, Chris Rondine are going to get, I believe, into the legend of the Wendigo tomorrow night. And then Thursday, we have a debut of a great new show with... Yeah. Cody Desbian and Satari Hawes, the paranormal couple, coming to you live from the Haunted Museum. And that's a new show on Dead Air Full Spectrum that's going to be premiering Thursday at 9 p.m. They're on for an hour, and they will be on bi-weekly every other Thursday because they're just so busy these days, right? Yeah, Cody's still those... in chat. Cody's still in chat. Not Where sure. are you? For those of you who join us for the first time who don't recognize those names, they're from the television show Ghost Hunters. Uh, they are uh, 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 museum owners, and Satori Hawes, of course, is the daughter of Jason Hawes. So you guys definitely want to check them out, and uh, they've got some really incredible items inside their museum. So they're going to be talking about that amongst other things, including their paranormal investigative experiences. So you make sure you guys check that out. We are all at a time here, guys. Again, I want to thank you so much. Uh, we are back here next week, same time, 
Uh, you are watching Dead Air Live on Dead Air Full Spectrum. We thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks for watching. Good night.